It's good to have Mike back from sabbatical. Um, thank you for leading us in prayer. And I uh, also want to thank everybody for your participation last week in our Mercy Fund offering. Uh, you know, we're very generous and we're thankful to have the resources. You know, if you're just coming back and, and joining us live, uh, you, you notice we don't have any uh, paper bulletins. We're doing, you know, we're not allowed actually uh, to, to pass things to one another. That includes the offering basket. So actually you'll, you'll find the offering baskets in the back of the room and you, you can use those if you like. Um, thanks for those of you who are sending in uh, gifts for the church. So we're, we're in this passage in Mark 13. I'd love for you to turn there. Uh, and <laughs> I'll, I'll just be candid. Mark 13 is an interesting chapter as, as you're about to, to hear. Uh, we're, we're not here by coincidence, though. Um, you know, we've been cruising through the gospel of Mark. All right, not cruising. Uh, it's taken us a while to get here, but, uh, but it's been good. We, you know, we've been steadily going through the gospel of Mark, and, and we're at chapter 13, not by coincidence, but, but really by design, because there's a lot in here that has to do with our current difficult situation. Like we, our, our, our nation, our, the world, uh, we see a lot of suffering, we see a lot of pain, we see a lot of conflict, we see a lot of injustice, and we see a lot of suffering. And, and Christians for centuries have been wrestling with the question of suffering. Like, we just prayed to our sovereign, good, caring God. And why does the sovereign, good, caring God allow things like pandemics and allow things like racism um, and, and not just allow things to happen out there, but, but, but we suffer too. And so Jesus is, is describing uh, what's going to happen, uh, what's, what's near, what's imminent, not only in regard to, to his own uh, death and burial and resurrection, but, but really to what's going to happen in the decades following that with the temple and with the destruction of Jerusalem. And, and, but this has bearing on today as well. Uh, so let's stand in honor of God's word. I'm going to Read verses 1 to 13. came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things that are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. 
And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your work, the nature, the reality of his kingdom, how we can be a part of it. Indeed, how you suffered in order for us to be saved. Lord, thank you for enduring much, that we would be loved, that we would be justified, that we would be brought into your family. Please bless us and lead us in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. And, uh, and I just, I want you to imagine for a moment, do a little thought experiment with me that you're on a field trip. And, uh, and, and you and your friends... Everybody, that, you know, you're, you're on your way to, to Washington, D.C., and you're going to go uh, walk the mall and, and tour uh, the monuments, and, you know, you're looking at the Jefferson Memorial and the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Monument, and there's the Capitol Building, and there's the White House, and, man, the Smithsonian Buildings are really, really cool, and uh, there's just so much to see. And, and your tour guide is Jesus, and, you, and you, know, you, you go over to Jesus and you, you pull on his, his, his robe, right? You pull on his robe and you look at all of these buildings. Look at these stones and just look at the magnificence. And, um, and then your tour guide, Jesus, turns to you and says, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What? Like, how would you respond to that? Truly, if, if you were in the middle of the National Mall and, and somebody were to say to you that every single monument, every single building, all of these impressive edifices are all going to be flattened in a matter of time, how would you feel? That, that strikes really at, at the heart of all Americans, right? You're thinking, no way is that going to happen. And temple being utterly say that the center of their national identity, not just the center of their religious identity, but the center of their national and spiritual identity is going to be utterly destroyed. And I think, when? How? What, what do you mean? And they're following up with questions, right? So Jesus has now left Jerusalem. They're they're, they're, they're sitting on the Mount of Olives and the Kidron Valley is in between them. They're facing west and they're, maybe it's sunset and the, you know, they can see the, the sun behind the temple and it's just this white, beautiful marble and gold uh, glinting and you know, all the finishing work and it's, just, and, and it's beautiful. This temple... Um, was one of the greatest buildings of, for hundreds of miles. Herod had a reputation uh, for beautiful architecture, and, and that's, how, that's how ancient rulers would flex. You know, they would build these enormous buildings. And, and this temple was the largest temple uh, in the ancient world at the time. 
Uh, and it had it, the, the temple courts were 35 acres square. Uh, you, you could fit 12 football fields uh, in the temple precinct. And these stones that the disciples are, are remarking about, you know, when you and I think of a big stone, we think of a big stone, like, oh, you know, a big stone. That's a big, that's a big stone. The temple uh, was described by ancient historians. One of them was Josephus. And there still are architectural um, remnants today. But Josephus was describing stones the, the size of 42 feet long. I don't, I mean, how long is this stage? It's probably close to 42 feet. It's a, a, a stone, the length of this stage, 11 feet high and 14 feet wide. How did, they, how did they quarry that? How did they move that? And they set it in a place and it, they stacked it on top. And the, the temple was tall. And that was part of the, the grandeur. That's part of the magnificence. And that's why the disciples are so impressed. You know, this is great. And you got to imagine they've got a little bit of, you know, chutzpah going on there. Look at this temple. All right, we got something here. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Your pride, your identity is not in buildings. Uh, you, you, we're going to talk about birth pains. We're going to talk about betrayal. But, but, but buildings, right? Like, don't get hung up on this building. Something terrible is about to happen in the decades following this discussion. Jesus knows full well that temple is going to be destroyed. That's what caused him to weep. Uh, in Luke 19, we read that when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. That was a prediction, a prophecy that came true. And that same historian, Josephus, who was telling us the dimensions of those stones is telling us about when uh, Rome did come in in 70 AD and destroyed Jerusalem and just demolished the temple. And he said that Caesar ordered the whole city and the temple to be razed to the ground, like R-A-Z-E-D, just demolished, not R-A-I-S-E-D, raised up. Raised to the ground and all the rest of the ground as to leave future visitors to the spot no ground for believing that it had ever been inhabited. That was the extent of the destruction. So Jesus is describing the suffering that's going to come to you know, everybody in Jerusalem. And, and that's not just you know, the, the non-Christian people, but, but everybody who's there, whether they're Christian or not. And, and he goes on to describe uh, like warnings against the, the religious divisions and the political divisions, these birth pains, right? He says, see that no one leads you astray. 
Uh, many are going to come in my name saying, I am he. And, um, and, do not, and, and they will lead many astray, but don't be alarmed. Uh, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. You're going to hear about kingdom against kingdom and nation against nation. You're going to hear about famines and earthquakes and so on. And he says, these are the beginnings of the birth pains. Um, you know, the, the disciples are marveling. Uh, one of the commentators put it this way. You know, the disciples are all, you know, awed and their jaws are dropping over the building blocks and, and Jesus is warning them against the stumbling block. Um, the being led astray, literally the word scandal, um, this stumbling stone. He's saying, don't, don't be distracted by the externals. Don't put your hope in buildings and in forms uh, and in all of the divisions that inevitably come from that of, you know, spiritual leaders who are saying, you need to follow me. And others are saying, no, you need to follow me. You know, Jesus is saying, don't be distracted. Keep your eyes on me and where I'm going, and you're going to follow me where I'm going. Uh, he warns also against the political divisions and even, you know, other natural disasters, uh, kingdoms and nations, right? And uh, the lifetime of the disciples. So Jesus is speaking to them about what's upcoming. And look, in 69 AD, uh, just a couple of decades after Jesus had uh, died and was raised and went and ascended, this is still in the lifespan of the disciples. In 69 AD, it's called the year of the four emperors. There was so much turmoil back in Rome and so much competition for the throne that four different emperors occupied that throne in a single year. And you think about you know, wars and rumors of wars and nations in uproar. That, that was very, very evident to them. Uh, in, in 66 AD, there was the Jewish zealot revolt and war against Rome. That's what led to the invasion of Jerusalem in 67 AD. That's, you know, that led to its ultimate destruction three years later. There were earthquakes, right? I mean, in 61 AD, there was an earthquake in Colossae, uh, the same place where Paul wrote to the church, uh, the Colossians. They, they experienced an earthquake in 61 AD. Uh, there was an earthquake a year later in Pompeii, right? The place that was destroyed by the volcano. Um, so famines were happening too under Claudius in 41 to 54 AD. Again, in that lifespan of the disciples as Jesus is speaking to them about what's coming. He says, don't be led astray. Don't be distracted. Don't lose sight of me, right? So Mark 13 is this entire discussion between Jesus and the disciples about what is imminent. Um, sometimes people think that this is really all about end times prophecy. All right, there's a little bit, and we'll see that next week. It certainly speaks to us in, this, in our generation 2,000 years later, but but I want you to understand that the immediate context really has to do with the, the temple. But um, others have remarked, this, this chapter, it reads a lot like Revelation, right? You hear all these things that are being... Um, remember Revelation uh, chapter 6 is this uh, episode and account of the seals being broken. Uh, there's a scroll that's given to the Lamb and he opens the scroll and the seals are broken and the first seal is broken and out comes the first horse, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The, the white horse comes out and the second seal is open and the red horse comes out. 
the third seal is open and the black horse comes out. And the fourth seal is open and the pale horse comes out. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. Now, I know that this sounds like a lot of end time stuff, like I said. Jesus described it as birth pains. Something that's gonna be that's gonna involve suffering so that something greater would take place, something beautiful might happen. And Paul says the same thing to us about, you know, our circumstances. He says in Romans 8 that we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Like he maybe was expecting Jesus' return sooner than and in fact, it has been, we're still waiting. And that means we're still in these birth pains. We still experience suffering. It's very, very real. And the Bible in no way, shape, or form would have us you know, deny that or diminish that. But to look at square in the face and to figure out how do we as followers of Jesus endure and endure well how do we suffer well? How do we point to the hope that we have in Jesus? Even though, as, uh, as we, we look at the end of this passage, even though there's betrayal, like there's one thing to, to have, you know, buildings that are, you know, collapsing and, and birth pains, but now deliver you over to counsel, same word for betrayal. And uh, you're, you will be uh, beaten. You will stand before governors and kings to bear witness before them, to bear witness of your hope beyond this world, uh, beyond the buildings and beyond the forms and beyond the personalities to our, our hope being in heaven. And that verse 11, more betrayal, right? Um, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, it even happens in families. Verse 12, brother will deliver and betray brother over to death and fathers their children and children their parents. It's awful. Jesus wasn't speaking hypothetically. He, he understood and experienced this personally. And he, he knew it was going to happen to him. He talked about it back in, in chapter 10. He told his disciples, see, we're going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered, betrayed over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. You know, betrayal, betrayal is painful. It's one of the most painful human experiences because it comes from, in order for it to be betrayal, it comes from a loved one. It comes from somebody that you're close to. It comes from somebody you depend on. It comes from somebody that, that you assume and, and trust is going to treat you well and instead they, they bring you harm. And actually, we're in this period in our country right now where I think just about everybody is experiencing some, you know, taste of what betrayal feels like. So you've got, uh, for instance, progressives who uh, feel betrayed by, uh, by the White House and by police, you know, and, and you can turn on CNN or listen to Anderson Cooper and they'll, they'll, they'll tap into that pain and that sense of suffering from those who we should be able to trust. On the other side of the spectrum, you've got the conservatives and they're all feeling supposed to be able to trust these people and they're all lying to us. 
Everybody's feeling betrayed. Like the point is not, all right, you have to choose sides and dig in and, you know, lob grenades at one another. The point is, as witnesses to how Jesus was betrayed, can, can we pause long enough to try to listen and have sympathy for the person who is feeling betrayed, feeling uh, suffering, feeling pain, and just be willing to enter into that without having to maybe agree with their position. You don't have to do that necessarily. But you can, as a, as a witness of Jesus, demonstrate compassion, show love for even your enemy, even the person who's hurt you. So, you know, Jesus, uh, when, when he's talking about the temple being destroyed and, and predicting what's going to happen, uh, his enemies seized on that and used it to betray him. Um, next chapter, Mark 14, we hear about the, this mock trial for Jesus, how some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, we've heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I'll build another not made with hands. You know, Jesus is having people witness falsely against him, and he endured that, and he charges us to witness truly to his love, his kingdom, his compassion, his sympathy, uh, instead of the ways that, you know, we tend to just bow up and draw swords and pick sides and, and, and lob grenades. So resist denouncing somebody else's viewpoint until you are, you, you've listened so well and have understood to the point where you can even articulate, you can even understand that. You don't, and that's how we. Let's talk about the last part here in verse 13. A very troubling verse to me. Like, I know, the, the other stuff, that's hard to hear too. But verse 13 says that the one who endures to the end will be saved. And that scares me. Does it scare you? I mean, the things that Jesus was describing, that's, that's horrific stuff. I don't want to suffer that. How would I hold up under those conditions, under that kind of persecution. Like that, didn't, that wasn't just a, applicable to the first century as Jesus is describing what's going to happen in Jerusalem. It's applicable to every century. It's applicable to this century. It's applicable to this day. Because I don't think it's a stretch, not in the least, to imagine that even this day, perhaps this very hour around this world, there are our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering because of their faith in Christ, because they name the name of Jesus, because they've turned from some you know, false god, false idol to worship the true and living God who loved them and gave himself for them. And now they're losing their jobs. They're losing their families. They're losing their freedom. And some are losing their lives. Would you be able to endure to the end? Would I be able to endure to the end? It's not by accident that we're here. It's by design. 
There's a lot of, a lot of messed up stuff going on around us. A lot of suffering. Not, not the kind of suffering that's being described here, but, but it's real. You get it. I get it. How do we suffer well? How do we endure to the end? How do we not lose our grip? Lose courage. How? Well, because he knew that what he was doing, what he was suffering, what he was enduring would be birth pains. That's how he described it. He knew it was going to accomplish something greater, that the suffering that he would endure for now was going to be nothing in compared to the joy and the celebration and the beauty of what was to come, what was going to be accomplished through that suffering. So when we think about this endurance, we need to think about Christ's endurance to love us and to save us. And he knew that his suffering, he knew that his pain would relieve our suffering. He knew that his endurance would, would bring salvation to us. He knew that his humiliation would bring exaltation uh, to those who are united to him. He knew that his hunger would provide the bread of life to those who follow him. He knew his thirst would provide living water to those who were thirsty for him. And so he, even, he knew that his sacrifice, right, would, would bring abundance to the kingdom's abundance to us. He knew that his atonement would provide forgiveness and justification and free all who trust in him from condemnation for our sins. To provide that freedom for us even now if you put your faith in Jesus. Your sins are removed and you're no longer under condemnation because of the suffering of his atonement. He knew that his rejection, that pain of rejection would bring acceptance to us. He knew that, the, that his being cursed would bring heaven's blessing to us. He knew that his dying would help us live. Those are the birth pains. John Piper uh, put it like this. He said, God is calling us to live for the sake of Christ and to do that through suffering. Christ didn't, Christ chose suffering, right? He, it didn't just happen to him. He chose it as, a, which, you know, I'm allergic to. But he calls us to choose suffering. That is, he calls us to take up our cross and follow him on the Calvary road and to deny ourselves and make sacrifices, listen, to make sacrifices for the sake of ministering to the church and presenting his sufferings to the world. Paul described it as filling up in our flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Like we're not finishing Jesus's suffering as if it's incomplete. No, we're participating in it. Like Jesus described it as birth pains, right? Birth pains are excruciating. Those of you who are mothers, you know, who've given birth, I don't have to tell you. They're excruciating. Every woman who's given birth would say, though, that it's worth it, even though they probably prefer an epidural, right? We're going to be honest. Epidurals are fine. God says finding legitimate ways to escape, you know, and, and be free of suffering, that's fine if you can find relief, but it's not right to just pursue suffering for suffering's sake. No, if if in order to accomplish the kingdom benefit, it includes suffering, then we have to walk through that. And there's, there's no anesthesia for that. 
If we spend our whole lives running from pain and discomfort, how can we expect to be part of what Jesus is birthing, uh, the beauty of his kingdom that's coming forward? So just think about it. Everybody here probably, you at home, want to be thought of as a compassionate person. I mean, who doesn't want people to think that you're compassionate? That makes sense. I want to be thought of as compassionate. You want to be thought of as compassionate. And then we pause and we realize, well, that word, what, is, what does the word compassionate mean? It's a, it's a Latin, you know, derivation, and it's got that prefix, C-O-M, it means with. And then the root word, compassion, means to suffer with somebody. So that means that if I'm going to be a compassionate person, I have to suffer with somebody. I have to enter into that. I have to experience that pain in order to birth the beauty of of compassion. It's the same with forgiveness. Uh, Forgiveness means that you absorb the offense and you forego the satisfaction of, you know, payment. It means that I'm not going to hold the grudge. I'm going to, instead, I'm going to bear the burden. I'm going to hold it for them and not against them. And that means I suffer. That means you suffer if you forgive somebody. You can't get around that. We, we, and we have to endure that in order to forgive, in order to bring the beauty of the kingdom. What about reconciliation, right? It means that, that you expose yourself to bitterness and anger um, and conflict in order to rebuild the bridge, in order to bring about healing and peace. So instead of like running away or quitting or just like leaving, you do the humbling and the hard work of hanging in there and seeking to rebuild a relationship after conflict. Same time, you don't just use you know, every weapon in your arsenal to win and to defeat the, the opposite party and prove that you were right. Reconciliation is hard work and it means that we suffer. It means that you give yourself to be an active, not just sort of this passive observer, but to be an active part of what, God would have, you know, us do as the church to lead in our community, in our country, to bring reconciliation, real reconciliation between black and white and Hispanic and Asian and everybody in between. We're not just passive about that. And and that means we suffer in order to do that. It means that in order to pursue justice, a lot of times those who are on the the, the tip of the spear, at the, the, the front line of the pursuit of justice, they suffer injustice because people don't want what they're promoting. Uh, Parents, you know this, if you're sitting and losing sleep and emptying yourself of rest as you're sitting at the bedside of a kid with a fever of 104, it means that you do all kinds of things you don't want to do, you know, it means you, you wipe up and clean up things that I'd rather not mention right now, you know, to bring healing, to bring comfort. Comfort, right? Comfort means that you willingly endure discomfort in order to make somebody comfortable again. You have to suffer in order to do this. The birth pains of long hours listening to and consoling somebody who's lost a loved one or has lost a job or something significant. It means that you include the lonely or the awkward or the alienated in, in your, your people, your group, your your tribe. In order to bring comfort, you've got to lose some comfort. We suffer that, but it's beautiful what's born out of that. 
Lastly, think about restoration meanings that you're entering into somebody else's disrepair and their, their brokenness and it's stressful and it's weird and it's hard and it means that you slow down to enter into the brokenness and the disrepair of somebody who's disabled so that you can bring them along. It means that you endure sweat and fatigue and hunger as you move in and try to help somebody fix their roof or their car or clean up their mess. It's on and on we could go talking about how birth pains mean that we have to suffer, but it's worth it because it's beautiful, because it reminds people what Jesus did for us. He came in and cleaned up our mess, wipes our brow, forgives our sins, and makes us new creations. He tells us that we can endure to the we have to endure to the end so that we're, we can be saved. That's a it's a tall order. It scares me. I wonder what happens if I lose my grip. What happens if I just run out of steam? What happens if you lose your grip? What happens if you quit? fail ultimately as long as we keep holding on to Jesus, as we keep looking to him, as we keep repenting, as we keep believing him, like give up on being perfect at, as a disciple. Like we're going to fail. There's going to be times and we're just going to keep, you know, skinning our spiritual need, but we keep turning back to Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. And really at the end of the day, we look to the one who endured for us who loved us, who who saved us, who holds on to us and makes us new creation. And then we endure so that the world can experience that love and the world can experience that new creation. All around us, it seems like the buildings are tumbling. There's a lot of suffering in this world. And Jesus suffered for us and calls us to follow him into that suffering. Not for the sake of suffering but for the sake of birthing something new, something beautiful, something that gives him glory as people see and enter into his new creation. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we give you thanks that you have suffered for us, uh, that you came into this world uh, and, and looked it square in the face. Uh, you, you didn't flinch, you didn't turn away, uh, but you were willing uh, to go to that cross and to uh, pour yourself out that we might be filled and to, to fill us, to, to love us, to make us new creations, Lord, so that we as your ambassadors, as your witnesses, could be those agents of healing and restoration and justice and salvation uh, to those who, who hear your word and see your word uh, demonstrated through your people. And I know there's a lot of pain in this room and those uh, watching at home, there's pain. We pray that you would minister to our pain, that you would, you would bind up the brokenhearted and heal our wounds, but then make us healers and help us to bind up the wounds and the brokenness of those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.